Hey everyone, this is Josh with Spurgeon Maniacs to share how you guys can partner with us. First off, thank you to everyone who has been listening to our show and to those of you that came to our conference. We are gearing up to expand what we do for you guys, but we need your help. Go on over to patreon.com forward slash Spurgeon Maniacs. We would love to have your support to continue doing this podcast, conferences, and so much more as we grow. Also, give this podcast a five-star review on Apple or Google Podcasts. That's how more and more people are going to find what we're doing over here. Lastly, come find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and don't forget to email us at podcast at SpurgeonManiacs.com. Now, here is your episode. Charles Spurgeon was a man that God used, and millions are still being impacted by his kingdom work. As we examine his life and ministry, we hope to strengthen today's church and bring glory to Christ. My name is Joel Littlefield, lead pastor of New City Church in Bath, Maine, and I'm joined by my brother in Christ, Josh Whitney. Welcome to the Spurgeon Maniacs podcast. Good to have you with us, brother, and uh, Thank you. everybody who is uh, aware, new, yeah, aware of this Virgin Maniac podcast. You already actually know a little bit about Ed because he he was part of our conference. And those of you who were at our conference, you guys know Ed Romine was at our conference and spoke on some uh, amazing topics. And uh, we are just so blessed to have you back with us, brother. Thank you for being on Spurgeon Maniacs. Well, it's a joy to be back. I- Thank you guys, like I said before, doing the most unique podcast that I can think of. I don't know of any podcast in Protestant tradition that is looking at just one man. So I think that's pretty cool. So Other than looking at just Jesus Christ, probably. Right, right. Look at there, you just Jesus shoot me. (laughs) If I, if I had feelings, you know, I'd feel bad right now. But. Hey, by the way, thank you for the recommendation uh, of uh, Haunted Cosmos. Oh, you are more than welcome. It's creepy, isn't it? It's creepy, but it's good. And I, I think it's just cool that they're out there in Utah with you. And they've got, they're just, so, they seem like solid brothers. I mean, my understanding, one's yep. a pastor, one's a deacon. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. You yep. know them personally? Uh, I've met Brian. I've never met the deacon. So I, I think we are uh, aware of each other and that we both breathe God's air in the same state. But uh, cool. he's about two hours north of me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, well, for those of us, so for those who are listening and do not know what Haunted Cosmos is, if you are, oh, <laughs> if you're into high, high strangeness in terms of like, uh, 
UFO sightings, uh, old sea monsters, like crazy, crazy stuff from everything from Bigfoot to uh, Mothman to all those things. These guys are solid pastors that talk about all this from a biblical worldview. They bring it back to the gospel really every episode for sure, and they filter everything through scripture. Uh, so if you just decide to go check it out, uh, yeah, you heard a plug from all three of us. We all listen to it. Yeah. The, the creepiest episode by far. Uh, for me, is the one on sleep paralysis. Oh, I didn't. I actually did not listen to that one. That's that's no, the one with like the shadow, the shadow creatures and Hat Man and stuff. Yeah, uh, you know that actually happened to me uh, um, mm. quite a few times, and uh, and uh, has honestly happened to me a few times post conversion too. I've always had kind of a sensitivity towards things that were darker and more occult-like. Mm -hmm. And uh, you want to talk about some freaky stuff, uh, mm. um, you know. But we'll, we'll see if we can get you on the haunted cosmos. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Brian Brian would have to come down here. That oh. way I can feed him. So. Yeah. Well, people who remember your testimony from last time, uh, you did share that the Lord saved you out of the occult. It's some very, very dark stuff. So we praise the Lord for that. They put you on an awesome trajectory and path of serving the Lord in this way that you currently are, pastoring this school. And then also what brings us uh, back to you today is the Lord has blessed your work in Spurgeon Studies. And we're happy to talk about your new book, man. So yeah. tell yeah. us, tell, tell the people, tell the our, our listeners about sort of just a brief little update, a little update on, on how you're doing, what you're doing, and then kind of bring us into what got you to write this book. Tell us about the title, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so, I mean, you've heard a little bit of how I'm doing with just the um, the uh, growth and visitors our church has been receiving. And, uh, you know, I get to be a single non-married pastor so i get to devote a lot of time to the work of the ministry and uh, right now we are blessed to have uh two interns that are with us at the church and uh, they live right across the hall from me if you go out that door right there and to go two doors down you would hear them uh, screaming at each other they're playing a video game uh today's their day off so so you know just being with them has been a big blessing um they have been a great blessing to me in light of some personal things that have happened to me earlier in the year like the death of my mom and things mm -hmm. like that and uh they they didn't know this but they were the uh, medicine that I needed. And they're a blessing from the Lord and an instrument to my sanctification. So wonderful. So they're they're good guys. So so a lot a lot of my uh, life right now, pastorally and just ministerially, is making sure that their internship goes well. So so they go out with me, do a ton of evangelism. <laughs> uh, we do a couple book studies and then. I'm also teaching them how to preach. So pray for them. You, I will, you, man. That's a, that's a great ministry, teaching new preachers to preach, man. 
Yeah, you, well, you guys have heard me preach, so hopefully they pick up my one good habit, not my 50,000 bad. <laughs> so, uh, that's good, man. No, I love but, it. Yeah, and then just the joy of ministering in a very dark place, mm-hmm. um, you know, spiritually speaking. Uh, when I went up to visit you guys in Maine, I felt a lot of kinship as yeah. far as like how you were overjoyed when we met that waitress who was a Christian lady. And you were like, whoa, a Christian. Yeah, man. That's exactly how we feel out here when we meet somebody that's not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. So Latter-day Saints, it's like, oh, my, mm-hmm. real life Christian out here. So, yeah. Wow. More so when you realize they didn't just say the word Christian. Right. Yeah. That's oh, exactly. my God. Oh, cool. Right. Like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very rare up here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's good, man. So you got a new yeah. book. Tell us about the book. Bring us right to where uh, where you currently are. You released the book. What's it called? And then uh, we got a few questions for you to get us uh, talking about some good content. The booming baritone bell of England, the pedagogy and practice of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's open air preaching. That's a Puritan title. What are you, a Puritan? Well, <laughs> well, my interns think I act like a Puritan, so there's that. So. But, oh, uh, awesome. you know, they call me old man. So. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Um, Baritone Bell. Of England. Awesome, man. Yeah, the booming Baritone Bell of England. Somebody asked me why I didn't say of Britain, and I said that would have been way too much alliteration. <laughs> no, yeah. man, there's never, there's no such thing as that. <laughs> mm. Yes, it's like you're one of those guys that puts ketchup on everything, don't you? <laughs> barbecue sauce. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Barbecue sauce on your chocolate cake. Mm-mm, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, only if it's hickory. Chick fil A sauce. <laughs> oh, Chick-fil-A sauce. That that stuff is so good it would make chocolate cake get better. <laughs> That's good, man. I like that. Yeah, you think I'm weird now inside your head. So yeah. <laughs> I but we didn't say it out loud. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, the, the booming baritone belving when the pedagogy and practice of Charles Hand Spurgeon's open air preaching. Mm-hmm. And the genesis of that title is that he was often said to have a voice like a booming baritone bell. Mm. Uh, and that, and that it was clear, it was resonant, he could project the well. And uh, of England, just as you guys obviously know, some may not, he was a, a preacher in the Victorian England era of the 19th century, so think 1800s. And uh, he, he ministered for the better part of his life in London, England, hence of England. And then the pedagogy and practice of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's open-air preaching. Uh, what is open-air preaching? That is preaching in any venue outside that can be on a field or in a field, on a street. Um, you know, in a college, on a college campus, anywhere of that nature, that's not within the four walls 
uh, as an established church building or in the case of a church plant, a building where a church service is meeting. So, Spur <laughs> so Spurgeon was an advocate of preaching out of doors wherever sinners are. Mm. And pedagogy simply is a fancy uh, $5 word that'll make you very lugubrious. Pedagogy, oh, don't make me look that up. What's that? Make me look that up. Oh, I, I, I want Josh to look it up so he doesn't fall asleep. So, so <laughs> pedagogy is fancy. What's Lug that? Did you say lugubrious? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I got to Google how do you spell lugubrious. Sounds like a 90s metal band or something. Or yeah, lugubrious. Yeah, that's right. So, so, um, but so pedagogy yeah. is a fancy $5 word that means the art of how to teach. Okay. So it's the method of teaching. And then practice, of course, is what it sounds like. Spurgeon actually practiced what he preached and taught. So, okay. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll get deeper into that a little bit. I want to just stay on that first thing that you mentioned real quick. Can you elaborate? What was the percentage, like, you say he liked to preach open air, open air to where sinners were, but we know he also preached a lot indoors to the congregation. What, right. what percentage would you say a week, like in a week's time, Spurgeon had a busy, busy, busy schedule. How often was he preaching open air? Spurgeon in his early ministry preached a lot in the open air. And when you read my dissertation, you'll find that about the time that the, uh, music hall was getting really filled up. And people were coming to him in his early ministry. He stopped open air preaching in London because he would gather such a crowd for who and what he was that um, he judged it better to continue only preaching in the church building unless he was itinerant preaching elsewhere so so like he gave open air preaching preachings in scotland and i believe 1859 that we don't have record of of when he was open air preaching there but early on in his ministry at the met tab he he or even before the met tab he quit open air preaching because he was already gathering such a large crowd but really early on in his ministry, uh, that that's what what he did was he would go out into the fields and go out into the streets, and open air preach. But as he grew in popularity, he deemed it better for he himself not to do it anymore, simply because the amount of crowds it was getting it would almost disturb the peace. No kidding. Mm. So. It's it's really hard to put a percentage on it though, okay. Because in the big sixty-three volume set, um, there's only three open air sermons in there, and, and my dissertation analyzes those sermons. Uh, hence, the the practice of open air preaching in the, in the okay. subtitle. So, uh, early on in his ministry, he did quite a bit. He commended it to his students and uh, lectures to my students. And a lot of his students that ended up being church 
planners across the UK uh, did their church planning by going out and preaching to sinners. Mm. And uh, I, I say in, in my study, somebody uh, that's not me needs to further my research and track down what their open air preaching was like. So oh, that would be, that's a, that'd be a cool study. Yeah. <laughs> so, so speaking then of his students and then going out, how, how did Spurgeon teach then open air preaching to his students at the mm-hmm. master's knowledge? What we have uh, in lectures to my students is two lectures in volume two. Most people have just lectures to my students in one big volume now, but it's technically in volume two of lectures to my students. He has two lectures, one entitled um, Open Air Preaching, a Sketch of Its History, and then the other lecture is titled Open Air Preaching Remarks Their Own. Mm-hmm. And in the first lecture, it does exactly what his little subtitle says it does, in that he traces the art of open air preaching all the way back to uh, Old Testament times and Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, mm-hmm. all the way up to the prophets of the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he says that Jesus is an open air preacher. Remember Mark chapter 1, verse 15, mm-hmm. what does Jesus preach? Uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't, uh, or at least they overlook the, the detail that he was doing that as he went by the seashore. Mm-hmm. So technically, uh, that's open air preaching as well. Right first recorded preaching we have in Mark uh, is at least a little bit of an open-air sermon. Hmm. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, And then, of course, you have the very uh, famous preaching of the apostles throughout the book of Acts, uh, probably the one that comes to my mind most uh, stridently is uh, Acts chapter 17. Paul at Mars Hill mm. to the townspeople. And, and so after he gets done with the biblical accounts, he then moves on into uh, other areas of history and shows how open air preaching was done in the early church, the medieval church, especially the Reformation. He says that uh, the Reformation was founded upon the back of open air preaching, even before the different reformations throughout Europe. So yeah. everybody thinks of Luther with the German Reformation, right. Thomas Cramer with the English mm-hmm. Reformation, Swingley with the Swiss Reformations, so on and so forth. Right. Spur- Spurgeon says that you can even find uh, uh, those who were in the Roman Catholic clergy that were preaching the true gospel of justification by faith alone, preparing the way for uh, Luther and others to uh, spark the actual reformation uh, that sought to bring back the Roman Catholic Church to a a spirit of true 
ecclesiastical and soteriological doctrinal goodness. Awesome. So, and then after that, he gets into the, the Puritan era. He gets into um, all the times up until the 19th century, but what about the years in day? So in the in the 17 and 1800s, he actually talks a lot about Methodism, the old circuit rider Methodist. Sure. And so, so that's really interesting as well. He's willing to include uh, at least Armenian Methodists and spread Arminianism as calls it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, you know, Spurgeon had a pretty ecumenical spirit. A lot of people don't think about that when they think of him. But, but probably just get fixated on how he said Calvinism is the gospel. I've, I've run into a lot of that, and that kind of shuts down a lot of people. I'm <laughs> thinking like he, he only cared about Calvinists and didn't care about anybody else. Right. Well, something that you have to keep in mind with that quote, that's early on. Mm-hmm. It's, in the, it's in the new park street pulpit cage stage yeah that, was caged. <laughs> yeah that 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 was his cage stage i believe <laughs> um and and uh he has some scathing scathing uh things to say towards those who are uh are armenian and uh and when you look at his other uh, things he said about Armenians, uh, such as oh, I'm I'm blanking on his name, Taylor. Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he loved. Uh, I don't believe it was uh, Dan Taylor. I could be wrong on that, but, but uh, no, Hudson Taylor. Hudson. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Where, I, was I was like, who? I only know one. Who's Danny Taylor? I got to look this guy up. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I, I was thinking of something else. I guess. We're here for you, Dad. We're here for you. Well, well, thank you. Uh, maybe, maybe one day I can have a brain as smart as Josh's. That would be nice. That well, would be an upgrade. I have three less master's degrees than you, so I'm not that smart. <laughs> mm, yeah, so let's bring that up again. Let's bring that up again. So uh, did Spurgeon actually, would he take students because i'm picturing how things are kind of done today you take people with you you know sometimes i'm sure even as you're thinking about teaching and teaching this the oops yeah it was my comment wasn't it i'm sorry <laughs> oh, no 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 <laughs> uh, i accidentally okay so I'll keep those to myself i'm sorry i won't i promise yeah. I won't do it again i know you're sensitive i'm sorry yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm a crippled little snowflake. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's how I talk. Never mind. All right, let me re-ask that question. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'm trying to find out how exactly Spurgeon would have done this. So I'm picturing uh, he's got a group of students, and they're in the pastor's college, and he wants to teach them to open air preach. Would he, would they go out and with? Do you know if there's record of him being with the students out in the open air? And then I do not. I do not. That's a okay. fantastic question. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Knowing Spurgeon, you think he would? I mean, I, we have other stories of him out with his students. Yes. I have no doubt that that's the case. Okay. Uh, his 
first student, Medhurst, W.T. Medhurst, yep. that he ever had for the pastor's college. He found him out, open air preaching, was impressed by his zeal, and said, you need to come study with me. I'll teach you what you need to know. Mm-hmm. So, so I could see him doing such a thing without a doubt. Absolutely, I could too. Absolutely, that's uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that would be, I think, pretty impressive. I think that'd be an effective way. I, I mean, have you ever had students or people come out with you in your experience, open air preaching, that have never done it before? Yes. What was that? What was that like? How how has how have those experiences been for those those people? Uh, well, they're scared to death to start off with, and uh, you know, I, I I just tell them the worst thing they can do is kill you. That's true. So, <laughs> then, from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's right. That's I'm right. About the same right. Yeah, that's but, a shepherd's uh, heart right there, Ed. Mm. What's that? That's a shepherd's heart right there. Well, uh, I'm. I don't know about that, <laughs> but but I mean that is what I tell them. It's right. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, fear the one that can kill the body and soul. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. But uh, you know, maybe I could have a little more compassion in my eyes when I say it. I don't know. <laughs> Just in your eyes, though. Yeah, not everybody can be like Josh. That's <laughs> true. There is a lot of references to how. Well, exemplary, you, Josh is. <laughs> I think anyone, I'm all for it. I love it, Ed. Thank yeah. you. I think anyone who spent at least five minutes with me would understand why. Yep. <laughs> yep. Until uh, they try to get you to sing the rhythm to Seven Nation Army. And- That's what it was. <laughs> I told Josh, I said, Josh, I'm going to bring up syncopation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's oh, why. Yeah. Studying to be a pastor, not a music leader. Yeah, we'll leave the, we'll leave the music portion out of this. At some point, though, I, I think it would be awesome to talk about Spurgeon and music because I know there's a lot about his ministry. That would be an awesome conversation, probably to try to have with um, um, what's his name, worship leader. You told me uh, Matt Boswell. Matt Boswell. Yeah, that would be that would be a great thing to talk about with him. But yeah. uh, we won't mention Josh's rhythm to him, though. No, I've got uh, other qualities that we can. He's got other on. qualities. He's got a good beard. <laughs> he's bald. <laughs> I just tell people. For those who can't see, <laughs> I just I just tell people I'm trying. I'm at least trying to look reformed. If nothing, if nothing else, if I can't actually do it, yeah. Josh, you have any other questions? We have one more that was just sort of planned for, but this certainly brings a lot of thoughts in my mind about yeah the church, about all sorts of things when it comes to even open air preaching. What are you What are you thinking? So I'm thinking through. It seems like practically that was a lot of his focus was open air preaching. It was at his heart's. It seems like it was at his deepest heart's desire was to preach openly to people who don't know about the Lord, but there seems to be so little written about it. At least from, you know, your book be focusing on uh, three sermons out of 63 and then lectures to my students. Well, 63 fat volumes. Fat volumes, sure. Oh, out, of, out of the volume. Out of yeah. volumes, we've got three sermons, right? Right. And, they, and to give you an idea, there's like 50 to 54 sermons per volume. Okay. I mean, that's a lot of sermons without, I mean, 
a percent of them being, well, maybe 1%, yeah. being about him doing open air preaching. So I guess I'm thinking about the correlation between that. If you have any thoughts on that, um, where, I don't know, where all those writings went, or does that just speak to his heartfelt desire? So there was never really much written about his sermons. He just spoke it from the heart as opposed to his oratory on Sunday mornings. Right. So you've got to remember for his pulpit sermons, he had stenographers. Right. Um, if you don't know, know what that word means, it's just people that were designated to literally write out. Right. Kind of like, I don't know, five or so stenographers in the congregation. Uh, they would all write down what they're hearing. And, you know, it's pretty impressive when you think back. Even me, as slow as I talk, it'd still be hard for somebody to write down every single word I say when I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't speak real English like Spurgeon did. Right. Mm-hmm. I speak hick, and it's still you know, Utah. Accent. You speak hick? <laughs> yeah. Saying? Yeah, I'm from Texas. I speak hick. So. Right. Hey, were there any, were there, uh, where was the typewriter on this uh, timeline? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm saying historically, the typewriter I know was coming online in the early 1900s, right. 1800s, but was when was it actually in Spurgeon's ministry? Do you know? I have no idea. Man, I, I, know, okay. I, know, he, I know he flushed the first public toilet. Wait, he flushed the first public toilet. Spurgeon did? I'm pretty sure on that. Now that is a nugget of info right there. I still didn't catch it. He flushed the first public toilet. Yeah, he got to watch watch his waist go down the plumbing system. Only here, only right here on Spurgeon. You heard it here first, folks. Well, maybe not first, but you heard it here. Well, that that takes the cake. You know, seriously, though, you got to think about before the boom of technology, I mean, I mean, uh, there's only one way you can make your waist go away, and that was to put it in the gutter and all that stuff. So, so people were like, I wish I could have lived in Spurgeon's time. And it's like, no, you don't. So Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I have said that. I, I am attracted to the Victorian age, but not for those reasons. I, well, that's good. Let's bring modern technology to the Victorian age, and that would have been perfect. You, right. know I, you know what I like about the Victorian age and the Puritan age? I like the, the, the idea of the simplicity, slowness, the lack of distraction, mm-hmm. the carefulness with people's words and writing. People were writing books and reading books and just the just the general appreciation for words and language. That's really what attracts me to that whole era with Spurgeon and even that uh, the Puritans. What, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, in general, yes. I mean. Charles Darwin lived during that time, and I don't think he was that careful with his words. No, no, you're right. You're right. But, but he didn't uh, know how. He know he knew how to speak. People right. didn't even know how to talk. They can't write in cursive. Right. That's right. That's right. So, so people don't know how to talk. They can't write in cursive. Um, like both. Like okay, those writing, are two separate writing. <laughs> well, I can talk in cursive. You can. Yeah. Can you, can you just <laughs> lean your head? <laughs> Anyways, I think yeah. we're good track from the book <laughs> yeah so so 
Um, anyway, to go back to your original question that I almost forgot, um, you, you know, for those who, um, wait, I'm sorry, what was your question? I did forget it. <laughs> you did. You did. He, Josh, Josh asked, how did he actually teach his students? That was, that was him. And then I asked, um, and then I specifically asked about like, did he, uh, similar, I went deeper on that is, did he, yeah. did he take the students along with him? Did, did they watch him? And then I right. asked you, what have you noticed when people have gone with you to preach open air? Right. So I, I never got to the second part of my uh, answer to your original question. So you've got the sketch of the history, right? And then the second lecture is uh, remarks their own, which is just literally practical remarks on how to physically open their preach. Like, for example, uh, preaching with the diaphragm and not preaching from your throat. So it sounds like this. <laughs> you know, I like that. And, and uh, you know, basically what what I try to demonstrate almost subconsciously at this point every time I preach, you know, um, is that you always want to uh, fill up with air from the diaphragm and let that be what projects your voice. Um, and, you know, Spurgeon was a big advocate of stuff like that. He's got a whole nother lecture on the voice. Um, you know, doing things like preaching with the wind and not against it. That way, if you want your voice to carry, uh, it doesn't go. You're not fighting the wind and having to put more effort into it than you need to. Um, stuff like, you know, don't scream like a lunatic the whole time. And, uh, you know, have more substance to your preaching than. You're going to burn in hell, you dirty, rotten sinners. Mm -hmm. You know, all, 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 no gospel. So yeah. just things like that. And even like, this doesn't apply to me as much, but like standing with your back against the wall. You know, so nobody right. come up behind you and do things and things like that. You know, you know what's interesting, though, is that when, when you read that chapter, you get the sense <clears throat> that that Spurgeon is training his students to preach as passerbys are just walking through. Uh, very much like I know you guys have seen the uh, the abortion mill ministry at the Planned Parenthood. Yeah, people in your church partake in, uh, which is wonderful, by the way. If you're in Portland and you love the Lord and love little babies, go be with them. Yeah, and, and go out there and uh, proclaim the gospel to the boss. Um, you know, those folks are walking back, and that's what Spurgeon seems to assume for his students. Now, when when you look at the three open air sermons that are recorded in the new Park Street pulpit, it seems like there's a mixture of both Pe people walking by and uh, people that are actually there to hear the Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting. It's like, well, what kind of open-air preaching are we talking about? One that's more congregational in nature, like during the COVID era when a lot of 
folks were taking their congregations outside. That's still a form of open-air preaching. Sure. But is it the kind that you see oftentimes kind of modeled after Ray Comfort where you're preaching to passerbys? Uh, I think both are valid. But uh, it's interesting to me that Spurgeon assumes that his uh, church players are going to be doing uh, one. And uh, he himself, at least in the recorded sermon, seems to have both kinds of people listening to him. Does that make sense? Well, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, think non pastors um, should be open air preaching? As long as their pastors uh, give them the blessing of that ministry. Mm. What about women? Uh, no. And I would assume what you're saying, and just for the clarity of anybody that's listening, you're talking about the delivery of a sermon. Correct. Opening the scriptures and preaching a sermon open air, as opposed to just somebody who's evangelizing on the streets, telling somebody the gospel, the way of salvation. Right, and here's where it gets tricky in the in the in the complementarianism, egalitarianism discussion slash debate. So, I, let's say uh, you've got a young lady who's an ardent evangelist. Uh, she's on a college campus. Uh, she talks to one young lady, and they're having a good conversation. But the other people are interested. And before you know it, uh, it's no longer one-on-one, but there's multiple people around that female evangelist, and it's become more of a diatribe right. rather than a dialogue. At what point do you say, oh, well, she's preaching now uh, instead of uh, just one-on-one evangelism? Uh, th- those are things that... Uh, I don't think we've talked about much in the debate. Right. So, so what what I tell folks is that a woman should not be a pastor per complementary and biblical conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, she should not preach on a Sunday morning uh, to God's people uh, because that's an extension of the pastoral office. Um, and and um, as such, she should not, in my view, and like I said at the conference, because I think I was asked this at the conference. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think by you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a big um, audience because we have thousands now listening to us. <laughs> I, I saw that, man. The the Facebook group's blown up. Yeah. yeah. So, Please you know. Tell me you have and all that. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of spam. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah. Go for it, man. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a complicated discussion, but I yeah. think there are black, black lines to be drawn, on, drawn, drawn, it's not a word, drawn on very white paper. Yeah. yeah. I think I, we need to be unapologetic about drawing those black lines and saying, you know, um, women cannot be pastors. Women should not seek to be preachers in the in the pulpit or in the open air but women should evangelize what happens when an evangelism opportunity turns into more of a preaching situation there's grace there for sure so so that's where i'm at 
there are godly brothers who disagree with me. I think I said that at the conference. Yeah. Do you know, or maybe Joel, do you guys know Matt Frad? Never. No. No. Anyway, I I didn't want to just say this with my own quote, but he's a he's a guy on YouTube, um, and uh, he was talking about a different issue. But I think it it struck me in the analogy. He said it's it's uh, equivalent to you know a beard when you see one. Like so, you have a clean shaven face. That's not a beard. But in a week or so, you look at me and you'll start seeing hair, and you're like, okay, that's a beard. But when did that beard start? And and I was. It's probably not a satisfactory answer to people, especially people on the egalitarian side. But I think that's a lot of what we come to, like the scriptures and how we're supposed to uh, be before God. It's like some things are not once you do this one specific thing, you've now crossed over. But it's really more a matter of the heart. It's a matter of your intentions. It's a matter of conviction. It's a matter of so many things that we must be relying on on God, we must be relying on the scripture, the word, the spirit, um, and personal convictions when we talk about these things, because some, some answers do not have a one side and then the other side point to them. Yeah. Um, I'd agree with that. I agree. Yeah. It's good. That's one reason why I like Josh. Yeah. Because I steal people's quotes from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You all plagiarize What's that? He's an old plagiarizer. Yeah, that's right. That's good. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start calling you Ed. Yeah, I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> hey, I can say it. My name's Ed. So. There you go. That's good. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, we have one more on the on the question. Is that let's bring that up and then I have a couple couple to just kind of close out and talk about the book. Yeah, absolutely. So, how would you say? Uh, open air preaching is effective today. That God ordains the means as well as the ends in mm. saving sinners. Mm-hmm. And and if you look at the wording of Romans ten, uh, Romans ten essentially says this. I'll I'll look it up. You can. Uh, you can undo any dead time that I get, right? So <laughs> it is the magic of 21st century technology. That's right. That's right. In the 19th century, you just have to sit here and wait for me to look this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So listen to this, right? Verse 13, uh, or verse 11, rather. Uh, for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, so, so preaching has the supernatural power of God behind it. And the preacher is only as authoritative as he is true to the to the word of God. But as he is true to the word of God, it's so like the old Helvetic confession says that the, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Mm-hmm. So if a preacher is is accurate to the scriptures, uh, you're going to be judged by what your preacher says to you. And every person who has ever walked by a sound open-air preacher that believes the real gospel, and that's very key, um, and they've rejected it, on the day of judgment, they're, they're going to remember every good sound preacher they've ever walked by. And it's going to be the nightmare that will haunt them throughout of eternity. It's a sobering thought, brother. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, that Romans 10 does seem to imply, doesn't specifically say open air preaching, but you do read it and it seems to imply they're not just gathering in a room listening to mm-hmm. the preacher. It's, right. It's, it's a bold proclamation of the gospel in the open. Right. And I think, that, I think there's also a big clue in the word sent. Right. Why does Paul say sent? Mm-hmm. Sent out? Yeah, sent out. Yeah. Awesome. I don't know any other way you can read it. Right. So this is not the guilt trip. Those who may be in a smaller town mm-hmm. and they literally can't because there's no foot traffic or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spurgeon's <laughs> views on open air preaching were a little bit too strong for my taste. Sure. He says in, in one uh, particular section, those ministers talking about clergy who do not open air preach are engaged in positive sin. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. It's like okay, well, okay. good for you, Spurgeon. Yeah. So, sure, sure, sure. Um, Sometimes you just have to say good for you, Spurgeon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like when when he uh, when he did uh, near the end of his life, he actually held communion in a hotel room in Menton, France, and opened mm. it up to the public. Mm. Good for you, Spurgeon. Yeah, good for you, Spurgeon. And then, you know, the other thing I wanted to say is, what's wrong with you, Spurgeon? <laughs> you know, kind of like R.C. Sproul, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, man. Well, hey, let me uh, let me just fire some real quick things. If you can give yeah. some brief answers, because I know it doesn't. it's not easy to write a book. Uh, you took, You put a lot of time into this. So, first of all, thank you for writing this book. We have now another treasure added to the volumes that have been written about Spurgeon, but I'm sure people are going to read this and I do intend to read this. I'm going to buy your book, brother. I promise you that will happen. Uh, it won't it. affect my love for you. If you do or don't, you know, okay. And, uh, uh, Josh, Josh may be so simple because he's bald. He is so hard on you, dude. He's like, like it's so funny to listen to you <laughs> guys. They're like brothers. <laughs> well, it's funny for you. I know. How do you feel, Josh? 
It's fine. Yeah. Fine. All right. So let me rapid fire some questions. And if you can answer, how, how long did it take for you to write this book from the beginning, the first time you opened your computer to begin typing it to its publishing? One year. It was one year. Yeah. Now the research. Okay. The research. Yep. Yeah. So, so what I did, and I suggest all people going for a doctorate to do this, is if you're in the American system where you have seminars, uh, you're going to write term papers. Right. Write term papers that are commensurate with your topic. Mm -hmm. If you know what your topic for your dissertation is going to be. You know, it, it'll save you a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth if you do that. Yeah. That's what I did. Because the physical act of tapping for me is really hard. Uh, as you can see, I'm in a chair. These are hands affected by my disability, cerebral palsy. Uh, I tap with one finger, and this is my pointer finger. Just to be I've very, seen you do it, man. I know. I watched yeah. you, and it was uh, so. That's one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up because what you did yeah. was not an easy work. There's a lot of people who write books. How many words? How many? Uh, yeah, how many words are in your book? I don't know. How many pages? <laughs> um, how many pages? Uh, two hundred seventeen. Two hundred seventeen. You don't know how many words. You know at the bottom of you know at the bottom of your processor it tells you how many words there are. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, well, but that's okay. Two hundred seventeen. You said two seventeen. Yeah, pages, not words. Pages. Who? Who did you write the book for? Um, is it a Dr. Seuss book? It's 217 words. <laughs> yeah. With pictures. <laughs> I can picture it. A booming baritone. Oh, you could turn this into a kid's book. Oh, you could. Yes, yes, I could. You, you know, uh, you know, it's called The Crippled Man. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who's the book intended for? Who, who do you think should go out and buy the book? Um, uh, sinners that are not yet saints because they'll, they'll read the gospel and be saved okay. um, in, in one sense um, I tried to make sure through the words of Spurgeon that the gospel was clear throughout um, but really <laughs> primarily it's aimed towards uh, pastors and Spurgeon scholars right. rank to encourage them to be more evangelistic and bold. And, you know, I wrote it in such a way where I'm really hopeful that Grandma Ethel at Country Bumpkin Baptist Church could read it and profit from it. So, you know, you won't find a lot about the hip pile stem and Hebrew or anything like that. Nothing overly technical. Okay. But uh, there was a lot of research involved in the sense of, like, tracking down what Spurgeon believed, tracking down the sources Spurgeon used for his history lecture. And so there's a lot of scholarship in that way, but it's not so on the shelf that the common layperson can't take it and read it and profit from it. So, mm -hmm. so I, I just want people to love the Lord Jesus more by, by uh, reading the book. Awesome. So. You got any other thoughts, Josh? Um, any a lot of thoughts. <laughs> no, that was a that was a lot. Of, that was a really good 
Well, they're all really good episodes, but no, that's a lot of good information. I, I am looking forward to reading this book. I, I can't think of uh, anything else right now. Yeah. Uh, God, is, God is good, isn't he? He's very he's, good, man. He is. Very well, thank you for writing the book, and we are going to definitely put the link to it in the show notes and make sure encourage all of our listeners to go. go yeah, what's buy the it? best place to buy the book? Like, is there is there somewhere that helps you out more? Is there a better way to buy the book? Uh, probably the publisher's website, Whiff and Stop. Whiff and Stop. Yep. But you know, you you can buy it on the Amazon as well. Right in the Amazon, right in the rainforest. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 You, you've got to wrestle on Anaconda to get to it. Right. <laughs> Worth it, brother. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll make sure Josh, we Josh could beat up Anaconda, I'm sure. Yeah. Obviously. 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 No, we'll put the, the way to do that in the show notes, man. And um, everybody who does read it, make sure you go to Amazon, write a review. And, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for writing. I, I have one five star rating, and that person did not write a review. I see that. I actually just pulled it up on Amazon to see what's going on. Uh, I can tell you reviews are a big deal to authors. So if you guys are going to read it, go and write a review for our brother Ed. And uh, it'll help him to know how, how he's, the book is blessing you. And it'll also help the book get more out there and more visibility. So Yeah, yeah, it was number one in Baptist Christianity for like a, a week, I think. Awesome. So, so I know people bought it because they tagged me on all the sociable sites. Good, man. You know, but but I don't want you to write a review unless you actually read it. You, you know? got to read the book and then read you know it. that gospel coalition guy that had a bunch of people uh, endorse his book. Then they're right. like, "Oh, I didn't read it." So I'm like, "Well, you dummies!" Oh, oh man, that's crazy. That's awkward. Yeah, so don't do that. Yeah, don't do that to me. Although I think this would be a safe endorsement, and even if you hate it, give me five stars. But you can write that it's the quality yeah. of the hatred. I hate it five stars amount. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, brother, we appreciate talking to you, man. Thanks for being on the show again. And we, we love you, brother. We just hope your ministry continues to be blessed. And the Lord blesses you in, in so many ways, man. Same, same to you, dear brothers. Love you guys. Love you, man. Good talking to you, Ed. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.